0: Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. You may remember Jeff Redorn from my previous hour. He was here with me in studio when I had uh, Dr. Mark Muska as my guest for Ask the Professor. And I invited Jeff to come early and he said yes. And we've been having a great time. I have to say, just studying God's Word is the most exciting thing there is, period, end of sentence. Hmm. I need to take his class too. He is uh, He's a amazing, wise, wise he? man.
1: Yeah, no, he it just kind of comes right out of his bones. Uh, you know, I. that's why I make all my charts. We're going to look at one of my charts today, because I yeah. can never remember where stuff is or what the reference is, and he was just going right off. He's, he's
0: Yeah, he walks in with his Bible and no notes. Yeah. Yeah, it's incredible. But this summer we've been doing a series on salvation, and it's been a wonderful series, and we're not um, resuming our series, but we're going to talk to Jeff about uh, the salvation uh, scripture references, just because he's done such an amazing job of constructing this, and I want to I want to keep continuing this theme of the salvation summer, because we've we got 11 days left of the summer, and that's it. Mm. And I, I don't want you to go into the fall um, wondering if you're saved, uh, wondering if you have confidence in your, in your salvation, and I want you to be equipped to be able to explain the doctrine of salvation to people who are interested, because we
1: have to be equipped and ready to share our faith with others. Absolutely. In fact, on the, when we get to the end here of this hour, we're going to talk a little bit about our inheritance and our assurance that we have awesome. in Christ. So let's start. I mean, I'm not giving you any big formal introduction or anything, so we're just kind of into it now. Well, yeah. Well, this this chart that we're looking at, so I have a chart in front of us that basically has how does God see the unbeliever on the left-hand side, and the, the theologies that you just talked about are the subtopics of how we move from being unsaved to being saved. So when I started this chart, it's kind of an interesting story. Because I need to make lists, and I love to make lists of passages of related topics, right? So what, what does God have to say about this and that and so on? Well, these are little topics and subtopics. So I started this chart on salvation with basically an unbeliever on the left, a believer on the right, and right smack into this in the middle is this word called believe. And it's a giant decision point. It's a diamond. If you've ever done flow charting, Right? There's, the, you know, the, the diamond is the flow chart, right? If then, if you believe, if you don't believe. So that's right in the middle of this chart. And surrounding it are some of these subtopics that we are going to talk about today. So God's heart, his desire, his command, this assurance, this concept of assurance mm-hmm. and so on, and we'll get to all of those. Um, and I got to the end and I, I realized, oh, wait a minute, I don't have John 3.16 on my chart. I would oh, you miss that one. <laughs> Good question. So I started looking at my chart and, and trying to figure out, well, where does John 3.16 go on my chart? What subtopic does it fit into? And I realized that the whole chart was John 3.16. So from left to right, I have, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, so that whoever believes, right in the middle, right, that word believes— should not perish but have eternal life. And so I wrote John 3.16 kind of across the whole chart, and I made this one chart. What I ended up doing, long story short, and we, we did one of the other charts a couple of weeks ago when I was here talking about 1 Corinthians 15 and the gospel, and I hope the next time we're here, the Lord willing, we'll do Galatians 2.20, which will be another one. But I ended up developing seven themes from the Scriptures of the New Testament, using seven specific verses. Um, and that became a class I call Seven Scriptures You Need to Know By Heart. And this is one of them. So hopefully, it. most of the people listening have John three sixteen you know, committed to memory and know it by heart. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, there's a lot of people that are coming across the station and learning about
0: God for the first time. So the answer is yes and no. So This is a wonderful opportunity to uh, to teach and to introduce New
1: believers or new people interested in John three sixteen, absolutely. And and you know we should probably start with if you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, then the next then listen closely to this next hour because it is it is basically God's command, God's call for you to believe and be saved. And so that's what we're going to. If you're a believer already, um, and and maybe you don't, uh, Bill talked about the theology of salvation. That's called soteriology, the study of salvation. And if you have a small view or maybe don't understand salvation quite well enough then then take this hour to learn about the robustness about all the things that God has done for the believer who has for the person who's believed in him. Okay, Jeff, let's start with what what is God's desire? Let's understand what God's desire is. So this is in the upper left-hand corner of the chart and it's God's heart. And what is what does God want? What is his desire for people. Well, I have several verses here. Second Peter 3, 9 says that he's not wanting anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance. 2 Peter 3, 9. 1 Timothy 2, 4 says that he wants all men to be saved. And in Matthew 18, he says, I'm not willing that any should be lost. That's That's God's heart, right? God's heart is that all would turn to him in faith and all be saved. Now, is that going to be the result come Judgment Day? Well, no. He says broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many go through that broad road, and few go through the narrow gate and the small road that leads to everlasting life, right? And few find it. So not everyone is going to believe, but know this, God's heart, his desire is that all would believe in him. And so He, he then, then the next box next to that is then God's call, his call on people? This, this is an interesting question, right? Because there's there's a passage in Scripture that says no one seeks God, but then he says, seek me and you will find me, right? Well, how do you reconcile those two things? And this is also obviously a theological debate. We've talked about some of these debates in the past about does God truly want all to be saved? Does he offer salvation to everybody or not? And, and so on. But here's, here's what I know. Here's what I, I believe God is saying that he calls all men to believe in him. And and so how does he do that? And I I, I, I think it's cool because I think there's a number of clues in Scripture on how he calls. Remember, Jesus says, when I'm lifted up, I will draw all men to myself, right? Not just some, but all. So I think he puts eternity in man's heart. Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes 3 says that God puts eternity in man's heart. Every single culture On every continent in every century has believed something about the afterlife in some way, shape, or form. So some built great pyramids and Mm -hmm. put their kings with lots of treasures for the afterlife. But everybody has had some understanding, and I think that's God has put that there. Amen. I think God has put that understanding of eternity in man's heart. He says in Romans 1 that all creation declares his glory so that man is without excuse. So when you open your eyes and you see creation— You should know inherently that there is a creator, just as if you'd look at a painting. You know inherently that someone painted that. So God says that when you see creation, you should recognize that someone, him, created it. And then Romans 2, it says he writes the righteous requirements of the law in people's heart. And it says your consciences bear witness to this fact. Everybody knows, has has a fundamental understanding of right and wrong right? The thief who goes out to steal for the first time inherently knows that it's wrong. And I think God put that there. In fact, it's a lot of philosophers over the ages have said that understanding, that moral code in our hearts is is a, a clue or even proof that there was a moral code giver, meaning God, and he's placed that there. Well, that's exactly what the Bible says. Um, He also says he sends the Holy Spirit out to convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. So God's busy knocking. Remember Revelation chapter three, where God says, I stand at the door and knock. Whosoever opens the door, I will come in and eat with them and they with me. I think that's a perfect picture of God's calling on mankind and faith, by the way, if you open the door, I think that's a picture of faith, a metaphor for faith, for believing in him. And if you open that door, if you put your faith in him, he will come in, he will save you, right? So that whole revelation, in fact, Luis Palau used to end every one of his public statements with that passage, I stand at the door and knock, whoever opens the door, I will come in and i think it's a perfect metaphor for that is is that where we get the idea of inviting jesus into your heart sure would you guess that's where that verse yeah i think that's <laughs> a, i i think that metaphor remember there's a few of them to the woman on the well or the women at the well he said if you would have known who you were talking to you would have asked me for living water right well that's just like opening the door and 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 remember the serpent if you looked up at the serpent in the Old Testament when Moses was there, you would be healed. It's that act of looking up. That's not what healed you. That's just the faith that opened the door for Christ to come in, to him to give you the living water, to him to save you. And we'll get to that, all the things that happen at the moment of salvation. But that's God's heart, and that's God's call. And so when you think about it, God loves all. He desires all to be saved— Now, think about this string here in in light of where we're at with, you know, tensions around our country. God loves every single person. He desires every single person to be saved. In fact, he calls every single person to be saved. In fact, he died for every single person on the cross, right? The righteous for the unrighteous. He took away all sins. He was the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, and he offers it. And in fact, commands it to believe and be saved, which we'll get to in a minute. So the so this part where I just said the gospel, the the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, this is one of these truths. Uh, again, it, it, you know, there's theolo- theological debates about a lot of these things. But I think Scripture is clear that, that God died for sin, for all sin, for everybody's sin. Uh, he says he is the Savior of the world. One died for all. Second Corinthians five. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He is the Savior of all men. First Timothy four it says Christ came into the world to save sinners. First Timothy one. And in First John two, it says that Jesus was the atoning sacrifice for our sin. So that's believers, the church, but not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. So I don't think Christ's atoning work on the cross was limited to anybody. I think he died for all and wants all to be saved. It fits so perfectly together. All right, Jeff, how about a pause right there? We'll take
0: a little break. Jeff Verdorn my guest. We're digging into John 3.16 and salvation, and I'm knowing that you are uh, uh, getting more equipped to understand this beautiful passage that Jesus said to Nicodemus, We'll be right back with more. That's the theme song for Jeff Dorn, my guest, my friend, my mentor, my good pal. <laughs>
1: I like you too, Bill. Thanks. Let's talk about God's command. God's command to all. So not only does he desire all to be saved, he commands all to believe and be saved. So this is one of the largest subcategories on, on my chart here. It says, like in Acts 16, he says, um, if you remember the story in Acts 16, this is actually a pretty powerful uh, story when uh, Paul and Silas are in jail, right? Right. And they are singing and worshiping God because that's my first response when I'm unjustly thrown into prison, right? Especially a first century prison. But anyway, an earthquake comes and, and all the gates are opened, And the guard rushes in and thinking all the prisoners have escaped, he's about to kill himself with his sword. And, and Paul says, no, 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 because that was the penalty if, you're, if your prisoners escape. It was basically death for the jailer. So he was just going to take his own life. And, and Paul says, no, we're still here, which which kind of begs the question, Paul, what were you still doing there? The door was open. Why didn't you, if I was there, it's like, all right, let's go, man, the door's open. But then we wouldn't have got this next question. And the JOR asks, sir, what must I do to be saved and you got to wonder how he thought about asking that question. And you have to think, well, maybe he was listening to these folks and hearing their praises to this God, and he cries out, what must I do to be saved? And Paul says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. Probably one of the simplest and clearest declarations of God's plan of salvation in all of Scripture, maybe other than John three sixteen, Believe and be saved. But he says it over and over again. He says, this is his command in 1 John 3, to believe in his son. In John 6, it says, this is the will of my father, that everyone who beholds the son and believes in him may have eternal life, right? In Acts 2, it says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, here's this word, repent, and then we have this word, baptize. Don't let that confuse you or or make it seem more complicated. There are a couple of places where Scripture does say, believe and be baptized and follow me, right? But there are dozens of places where this singular command to believe is stated clearly that if you believe, then you'll be saved. So I don't believe in any way that you need to be water baptized to be saved. Um, I believe that once you believe, you are baptized with the Holy Spirit, all right, and then also this word repent, a lot of people want to make salvation kind of a two-step process. Repent is simply turning. You are turning from one to another. In fact, in the Greek, metanoia is this Greek word to repent, to turn. And there's actually some variants of the word. Some some imply re- turning from the world. Some uh, imply turning to God. But basically you're turning from the world to God in faith. Uh, so it's not like a two-step process because... So many places like Romans 10, if you believe in your heart, you will be saved. Um, and I think that's the decision point. That is the 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 pivot for each individual to decide whether they are going to believe or not. And so if you know one Greek word, Bill, I think this word for believe is pistouio in the Greek. The faith is the noun version of it, pistis, pistis and pistuyo. And people say, well... But doesn't it take more than just simple belief? Well, then you don't understand this Greek word, belief, because the fullness of this Greek word, part of it's to believe it's true. That's the kind of the first part of this definition of this Greek word, pistouio. But the second part of this definition is to entrust for salvation. So some might believe with their head. Have you ever heard someone say, well... You know, I, I had head knowledge of it, but it never went to my heart, mm-hmm. right? Well, that's the fullness of. Do you remember the demons? And and I remember thinking in James where it says even the demons believe. What do they believe? First of all, it says even the demons believe there's one God. Do the demons know it's true that there's one God? Well, sure. They live in the spiritual realm. They know that that's true. Mm-hmm. We know who you are, Son of the Most High, right? Mm-hmm. They yeah. knew. They know it's true, but I would argue, in fact, when I first studied that verse, I remember thinking, well, that's got to be a different Greek word of that verse about the demons, but I, you go there, you look it up, and it's like, no, it's pistuyo. It's like, well, wait a minute here, and then I realized, well, yeah, they believe it's true, but they don't and can't entrust for salvation. It's That's the fullness of this Greek word, pistouio. In fact, salvation isn't even offered to demons, right? Jesus came as a man, offers salvation to men, men and women. And so that is the fullness of belief. So if you believe, then you are saved. But never forget the fullness of that word, to believe it's true and to entrust for salvation. That is the biblical definition and the biblical criteria Mm. for salvation. Giving your allegiance to Christ. Yeah. Yeah. to full allegiance. Yeah. To entrust in him. Mm -hmm. Remember the man on the cross, I love this story because of its simplicity, and yet it shows exactly the man on the cross said, "Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom that's who knows how much theology he knew, who knows what he knew about this guy, but he did know and believed that this guy who was who was who was he said he was and that he had the power to bring him into this new kingdom, even though the two of them were both about to die. So he believed it was true, and he entrusted for his salvation. And Jesus said, Today you'll be with me in paradise. Now, I love theology. And the more you understand about the theology of salvation, the theology of Christ, the Christology, the theology of of man, anthropology, and and who we are, and and what our sinful condition, and so on, and the virgin birth, and the deity of Christ, and there's lots of, and they all tie together really closely and create a a fabric that takes away doubt and grows our faith, I think, as the more we know and learn, and I think that's one of the big points of studying Scripture. But the guy on the cross simply believed, and he, he was saved. That's the the diamond in the middle. Now, unfortunately, so he he was yes and was saved. Now, the other part of that is some are not going to believe. And so what does the Bible say about that? In your last hour, you talked about the wrath of God. Well, the wrath of God, the judgment of God is just as much of God's character as his love and his mercy and his grace is. Right? So let's see what scripture says. I entitle this subtopic, The Many's Response. So John 3 says it this way Whoever does not believe stands condemned already. John 5 says it this way Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. John 12 says, They still would not believe in him. Matthew 23 says, if you remember the picture, Jesus says, oh, how I long to gather you together like a hen gathers her chicks, but yet you were not willing. You were unwilling. Acts 14 says it this way, that many, including the Jews, who refused to believe, right, then they are lost. And John 5, 1 John 5 says, anyone who does not believe has made him out to be a liar. Um, and then Hebrews 4, I think Hebrews 4 is the perfect picture, and Hebrews four twelve says this: that they had the gospel preached to. Our, I'm sorry, we had the gospel preached to us just as they did, but they did not combine it with faith. That's Hebrews four twelve. It's Hebrews four twelve.
0: We'll so what's read that the, again? We had the gospel preached to us just as they did,
1: but they did not combine it with faith. So let's go back to our Revelation three metaphor. They had their door knocked on, just as we did, but they never opened the door. You see that? Mm -hmm. They had living water offered to them, just as we did, but they never asked for that living water, right? Like the woman on the well. Mm -hmm. So I think people ask, well, then why do people perish? Well, if you reject God's call, if you reject God's command to believe and be saved, well then scripture is very clear. And in fact, God's judgment will come upon them. And it says, This judgment is coming on you because you did not recognize this. You did not believe, and therefore you will die in your sins. He will punish those who don't know God, who do not obey the gospel. Second Thessalonians 2:10 says it's this way: they perish. Because they refused to love the truth and thus be saved. Whose fault is it that people perish? It's, it's people's fault. They don't believe. They don't believe in the command of God to believe in his one and only son whom they have sent. We're talking to Jeff Verdorn. He's my guest for the rest of the hour
0: as we're jumping into John 3.16. I love this passage. We'll be right back with lots more. salvation, which is a good thing. I've <laughs> been doing this all summer. I can't get enough of it. I never want it to end. And I think uh, a listener, David, from North Dakota, he chimed in and said, I asked Jesus into my heart 50 years ago, and the gospel story never gets old. Hmm. He said, this is one amazing facet of the good news. Thanks, Jeff, for studying it and telling us what, you've, what you have what learned. Hmm. Isn't that nice? Wow. Yeah. Great comment. Yeah. I- it's wonderful. So w- if we say yes, if we believe What work does God
1: do at that moment? Well, this is one of these subtopics now. So now we're talking about God's work of salvation. All the things that God does the moment a person believes in him, right? Mm -hmm. So let's declare right up front that that salvation is God's work. It's all done by him. And it's kind of like, can you forgive yourself? Can you give yourself eternal life? Can you justify yourself? No. No. Not all that. Right. Not all that. So this is all God's work. Faith is simply the condition that God has put before man that if you believe, then he will do the saving. Some want to declare, well, if, if it's up to you to believe and you have to put your faith in him, well, then you had something to do with your salvation. It's like, no, 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 no. Romans 4 makes it clear that faith is not a work. You cannot earn your salvation. You cannot work for your salvation. And Romans 4 says, to him who work not, I love the King James, to him who worketh not, but believes, pistouio, there's that Greek word again, pistouio, but believes, to him it's credited as righteousness. So faith, believing, is not a work. Right? He has set before mankind a conditional statement. If you believe, then I will save. So what we're going to look through, look at now are all the things God does as part of that conditional statement. You've now believed, the if part, here's the then. Oh, this is a great list. I love this you list. You want
0: help with this list?
1: Yes. Getting lazy. I know it. So what's what, the first one? Forgiven right mm-hmm. we've been forgiven so scripture says that we've been washed clean washed clean wow that's the concept remember that um um the the line of scripture where god says that he separates his your sin as far as the east is from the west mm-hmm. and Psalm he remembers it no more right yeah that's forgiveness so well, that's hebrews yeah oh okay well that the that part is in the old testament yeah um so that's one of the things he does check that's it off the list 103 <laughs> New life. There's so much in Scripture about this new life. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. But there's even subcategories to this life. You know, what kind of life? What is this life? Well, that is what I think this whole concept of being born again is all about. So, Bill, the moment you believed, you're born again. You're born from above. You are born of God. You move from death to life. He made you alive in Christ Jesus, uh, a new birth. You are a new creation, right? 2 Second, uh, Second Corinthians 5, 17, anyone who is Christ is a new creation. He's made you new. That's a pretty big deal. Mm-hmm. And then he says eternal life. Wow, not only do I have life, I have now eternal life. Eternal life is a long time. And as I always say, it's a really big deal. And I think if the choice for people is death versus life, you one of the strongest human instincts that people have, that man has, is self-preservation, mm-hmm. right? This is self-preservation on an eternal scale. If you believe you will not perish but have eternal life. I, you remember that I set before you two paths, death and life. Choose life. And one of the gifts is when we believe God grants us eternal life. One of your favorite passages is from John. To him who believes, he gives the right to be called children of God, which is the next one, and he grants that eternal life. So now we're going to live forever. Uh, He says he gives you the Holy Spirit. One of the other gifts, when the moment you believe, is he says you have the Holy Spirit, you're sealed with the Holy Spirit, he will be with you for how long? forever, right? Mm -hmm. He doesn't just give the Holy Spirit as a a temporary gift, but he'll be with you forever. And he gives you an inheritance. You are justified. Um, There's so many things that God does the moment you believe and are saved. Two more things. As it relates to your relationship with God. God says before you're saved, you're far from him. You're separated from him. You are lost. You're in darkness. You're condemned. You're alienated from God, First Corinthians one twenty-one. 21. Uh, separated from God. You're wicked, un- ungodly. Your father is the devil, and so on and so forth. He says the moment you believe, you're brought near to God. You're united with him. You're sealed with the Holy Spirit. Um, you're, you're, you're no longer alienated from God, but you have been united and joined with God. And when you think of this concept of being one with God, right, this union, if God is perfectly righteous and holy and just and pure, and we're not in our natural selves, right, we're sinners, then God can't join himself with that, right? Mm-hmm. It's, he can't. He can't. The righteous can't join with the unrighteous. But as soon as he washes you clean and forgives you, now he says he can unite with you and join with you and be united in Christ. And so literally the God of the universe is now dwelling in us, right? Whoa! what a concept. It's amazing. Such so, good news. I think I think most Christians just say, well, I was saved. But when you actually survey the New Testament, look at all these things that happened. And those are all God's work. He did it all. We didn't do any of that. So we don't have any part of our own salvation. But God says, if you believe, then I will do the work of salvation in you who believe.
0: I love it. So we've been redeemed as well we've been rescued oh i love that i love the word rescue
1: and yeah, you know the if, if people have described salvation as if you know someone's drowning in in the ocean and you have the life ring right uh someone has a incurable disease and you have the cure um they're, they've been held captive by a, a prisoner and, and you know the, the enemy in a jail cell and you have the key mm-hmm. right these different metaphors that I've heard over the years yeah and it, it's uh, it encompasses in this word rescue. it is and and we, we should be we are EMTs in this world right and that's what we should be doing. that's what we're doing here right now and hopefully people are hearing maybe this this salvation message for the first time and uh, you can be rescued, you can be redeemed out of this world and and receive eternal life through faith in him. It's so rich. Mm. It's so good. So let's talk about this,
0: God's work in terms of the relationship we now have with him. We, we, John one twelve says we are children of God. Ephesians one fourteen says we're God's possession. These are all very powerful uh, verses. Uh, we're heirs with Christ in Romans 8.17, mm-hmm. and we have peace with
1: God, which we didn't have until we got saved. You know, one of the descriptions of someone who's lost is that they're enemies of God, right? Romans 5 says that, we're, that those who don't believe are God's enemies, and now we've been reconciled, or now we have peace with God. And so that's a that's the peace with God is that reconciliation that you just mentioned, and then we also have the peace of God, right? A believer can have peace. Um, so, but the first one is a, is is a salvation peace, and so we yeah we've been brought near, we've been made children, we've now been made heirs with Christ. Think about if we've been made children, given the right to be called children of God, and He says we're also made heirs. Well then. We're an heir. We have an inheritance, don't we? Yes, we do. And that's, can we move to a, a our assurance and Please. inheritance? let's do it. All right. So when you're saved, we're, we don't have, I believe that eternal life starts the moment that you're saved. Amen. Right? Yep. But we're not in our glorified bodies yet. We, we're not in that new heaven and new earth. We're not to the back of the book yet, right? It's so a I've, present I, possession. That's It is. Yes. So if you you don't say, oh, we're going to have eternal life. No, you have eternal life. Your eternal life started the moment that you believed and were saved, mm-hmm. right? That's one of the gifts of salvation is eternal life. And now, I think this next question, by the way, is probably the most common question that I get in my classes when I'm teaching. I'm, you know, Sunday school teacher, right? And, and, but this concept of, can I lose my salvation Well, think about this. If all the things that we just described were God's work in you, didn't have anything to do with you, right? You just believed and then God did these things. Then if you could lose your salvation, then all of the things that we just talked about would have to be undone by God, right? So he would have to unforgive you. He would have to unborn again you. Is that proper English? Unborn again? Works for me. Yeah, okay. Um, Unborn of God. He would have to move you from life back to death again, right? Because we've moved from death to life. He'd have to move you from life back to death. Um, He gave you eternal life. He'd have to take that away. He gave you his Holy Spirit. He would have to take that away, even though he promised he wouldn't, Mm -hmm. Right. He'd have to take away your inheritance. He'd have to unjustify you, unredeem you, unrescue you. He'd basically, have to throw you back in the ocean again, right? In that drowning ocean that we were talking about earlier. Um, he'd have to take away his adoption of you and suddenly make you not a child of, of God anymore. You, you see where we're going with this? Oh yeah. And and does any of that sounds like it's anywhere in Scripture whatsoever? No. No, it doesn't. None of those concepts are in script. The only one that comes close, just caveat here, is remember David says, please don't take your spirit from me mm-hmm. to God. in remember, in the Old Testament, God anointed people with the Holy Spirit. It was not a permanent gift as part of salvation. Remember, they were not born again in the right. Old Testament. So yes, God did anoint kings and prophets and people and workers with his spirit in the Old Testament, but then he could take it away but in the new testament he says he'll not do that. So that's that's the one one caveat with that. At, go ahead? No, that's go please. As a result, we have then what I call assurance of salvation. Once you've received assur- of salvation at a point in time, we now have assurance. We can know. Remember the end of First John five, he he writes this epistle and he ends it with, I write these things to those of you who believe that you may know that you have eternal life. We can know that we know that we know Mm -hmm. why, because God has declared it and I'm trusting God that he, what he says will always come to pass. And the Holy Spirit verifies that in your spirit. Absolutely. And so we can have that assurance of, of salvation as well. And the more we study God's promises and the more we study His salvation, the more assurance we can have that once we're saved, we are saved for all of eternity. So here's a couple passages. So, this is this box in the upper right about God's assurance. And it, it says in Romans 8, for example, that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus neither height nor depth nor angels nor demons nor anything else in all creation. That's pretty much everything right? And he says, none of it can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing can take your salvation away. One of the most powerful ones comes in Ephesians 1, where it says, having believed and, and therefore being saved, so you've believed and, and, and were saved, you were marked with him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, as a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. Love the word guaranteeing. It's guaranteed. Guaranteed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's there's not a lot of theological debate about what guaranteed means. Yeah, I'll take that word to the bank. Yeah, God has said it. It means it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. It's guaranteed. It's a fixed certainty. Absolutely. All right. Can Any? we take a break? Sure. All right. Jeffrey Dorn
0: is my guest, and we will uh, be right back in ninety seconds. back to the show. Jeff Verdorn my guest. We're talking about salvation, John 3.16. And we just before the break, we're talking about God's assurance. What a lovely concept as people look for hope and encouragement, just to
1: say, let's talk about God's assurance in your life. Yeah, it's based on his grace, right? Ephesians 2.8 says, um, he's granted us this gift of salvation to those who believe and when he grants it, I love the passage where it says that he's, we've talked about this word guarantee, right? This word guarantee actually shows up a couple of times. Another place is, uh, and I just lost it, is, oh, here it is, saved forever by Jesus who guarantees this better covenant in Hebrews 7 says, it's a, a, another assurance passage, that he is the guarantor of this salvation. It, it. It. A pastor friend of mine says, if I could lose my salvation, I would lose it. Every day, but thank goodness that the fact that it, it's God who's the one that protects our salvation. It's God who is who the one that keeps us. Uh, in fact, it, it says that um, that it is written so that you may know that you have eternal life. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. It's kept in heaven. Our salvation, God says, is kept in heaven for us. Sealed it. Shielded by God's power until the day of redemption. So our salvation is kept in heaven. He says he keeps us in his hand, and Christ keeps us in his hand, and nothing can take you out of his hand. Uh, we're doubly sealed, uh, sealed with the Holy Spirit, sealed by God, sealed with Christ. Nothing can separate us. Um, and this I, I can I can tell you that this is probably the one. Most common question that I get in in the classes that I teach in some way, shape, or form, well, what happens if, what if I do this, or what if I do this? It's kept in heaven for you, shielded by God's power. Pretty safe place. It is. I like that. and, And people say, well, what about, what if I totally backslide? and start following the world again, mm-hmm. and so on. There are examples. That is exactly much of the exhortation in the New Testament is to don't do that, which means it's possible. Right. Right? He went to the Corinthians and said, you Corinthians, you're acting carnally. You know, cut it out. Live holy and pure as I've I've made you holy and pure. Now live out your inheritance. Right? To the Galatians, he says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Having begun in the spirit, are you trying to perfect yourself in the flesh? Right? And so much of the New Testament is is exhortations to people that says they they went off and followed the world. That's why he says, do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world. Because what do we tend to do? Conform to them. (laughs) We do. Mm -hmm. We start looking like the world. We start buying into it. And if we don't live by the Spirit, right, then we start gratifying the desires of the flesh Mm -hmm. once again. So even though we've been made righteous— and made holy and made perfect and made pure. And he now sees us as holy and blameless in his sight. We don't always act that way out, do we? No. That And that whole sanctification process, that's what I, next time I'm on, I want to talk about my, the next chart, which is Galatians, Galatians 2.20. Um, but let, let me just see here. So God's assurance, um, we've covered most of these now. Uh, He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. By the way, one more big category of our assurance is that um, God has promised our glorification. And that promise is actually stated many different times in Scripture in many different ways. He will conform you to the likeness of Christ. We will be made like him. Uh, we, We now live in this tent of this body, our earthly dwelling, but we will have a glorified body. Well, that resurrection day is promised to everyone who is a believer in Christ Jesus. And there's no conditions on it, right? He doesn't say if you do this or if you do that or if you make sure you do this and so on and so forth. No, our glorification is part of our salvation and he will complete it. So that's part of this whole concept of our assurance that once you've been saved right now, today, you know, because God has declared it, that one day you will be clothed in glory and have a glorified body just like Christ. And so you can, you can trust God's word that what he said will come to pass and that we will be with him forever in glory. That's good news. The best news ever. It's really good news. And so that's God's promise. And so the right hand, the far right hand side is, is the back of the book, is right. the promises that God has made, right? Mm-hmm. He's promised us a place in the Father's house. house, an eternal inheritance, this future glorification. Um, Do you remember in Revelation in chapters 2 and 3, each of the letters to each of the churches, there's a promise at the end of them, to him who overcomes, and then there's a promise, right? Well, one of them is, uh, and I can't remember which letter it is, it's, he won't be hurt by the second death, right? Well, Well, that's That's the perishing part, right? That's the condemnation. That's the being thrown into the hellfire, right? That we don't want that. And he says to him who overcomes, he won't be hurt by that second death. And another place he says he'll give you the right if you overcome to eat with me in the the new heaven and new earth. Um, You will reign with him. Um, He'll give you the right to sit on his throne. I mean, some amazing promises, right? I don't have it open, but there's seven amazing promises to him who overcomes? Well, who is it that overcomes? Well, First John 5 tells us who is it that overcomes. Who is it that overcomes? First John 5, I think it's verse 4 or 14, I can't remember. Who is it that overcomes? Only he who believes. There's that word again. There's that word again. I love it. That Jesus is the Christ. Mm-hmm. And why have we overcome the world? Because John sixteen thirty three says, Jesus says, I have overcome the world, even death. So if you are a believer in Jesus, you are an overcomer. You are. You don't have to try to work to be one. You are one. Correct. Love it. Because you are in Christ. Christ has overcome the world, even death. You are in Christ Jesus. So now you're an overcomer. Sometimes you think of overcomer as some kind of human initiative, though. It is, um, and it's taught that way, by the way, and I've heard it taught that way, that in order to receive those promises, you need to overcome something, right? And isn't that a self-effort kind of thing? Yeah, it sounds that way. Sure, it's a work thing. I'm an overcomer. That Greek word, by the way, basically means uh, victorious. In fact, I think in the latest edition of the NIV, They've actually changed the the word from overcomer to victorious in in Revelation 2 and 3. So that's what that word really means. Are we victorious in Christ Jesus? And the answer is yes, because he's been victorious. He's overcome the world, sin, death, and everything. And we belong to him. We belong to him, and therefore, we have assurance of salvation. His victory is our victory. Absolutely. Mm. That's such good news. It's so hopeful it's so hope filled
0: and i think we need this message more than ever today just to have it
1: reminded over and over you know this we should all be theologians we should all want to have a robust understanding of god's plan for salvation and you know that word soteriology the study of salvation This is, and and the reason we want it is not because, you know, we want to be book smart or something. You know, you study the scriptures and you think they have eternal life. No, they testify about me. But what are the things it does? Be transformed by the renewal of of our minds, right? One of the things it does that the more we know about God's work of salvation in us, then the more assurance we can have of our salvation because we understand it all is a gift of God to those who believe.
0: Jeff, do you think the average person in the church has had the doctrine of salvation correctly explained to them?
1: Well, um, hopefully, obviously, but that's why I made this chart, and that's why I teach this class. Mm-hmm. Is I want people to have that robust understanding. So I've, mm-hmm. I mean, I've tried this. It's like, all right, class, start listing off um, all the things that God does the moment we're saved, and and to be honest. If you have a group of twenty or thirty people, you'll you'll start getting a number of them. They'll mm-hmm. start chiming them out and all start writing them up on the board. And so we do know this, right? But I hope that every Christian has this full, robust understanding of salvation. Because that's who we are, right? In yeah.
0: Christ Jesus. You've done a great job of um telling us, reminding us.
1: Thank you very much. Well, you're welcome. This is a this is You know, I love to teach on the end times. I love to teach on assurance separately. But this is, I mean, this is the one main story in all of Scripture, right? It's the redemption of men. Because that's, like I said at the beginning, that's God's heart. Mm -hmm. So next time we'll do Galatians 2.20.
0: Does that sound fair? Sounds fair. Awesome. Jeff Redorn's been my, my guest the whole hour. Thank you so much. What does it feel like? Sitting, sitting in a radio station for two hours. This is what you do every day. I, well, it went by fast, oh, I good. tell you. you. I'm glad you thought so. Thank you for being here both hours. And thanks to Dr. Mark Muska for Ask the Professor. That was hour one. It's been a great day. I hope you've enjoyed the show. If you uh, missed any of it, you can always go to myfaithradio.com and check it out. I'm looking forward to spending time with you tomorrow. So have a good night, sleep, and I'll see you soon.